Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Vince. I'm one of the elders here. I'm on staff as the pastor over preaching and vision. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you at some point. I know there are lots of people at home, either sick or um, at home, trying to uh, get well. So uh, if you're home, good to see you. I think I, do I wave at the camera? Um, it's good, good to be with you all today. We are, um, what, into our third week now of uh, a series that we've called The Gospel in Life. Our desire in this series is to walk through just some everyday topics and see how the gospel actually does affect and, um, and transform that aspect, that specific aspect of our lives. We've got a rundown of what those uh, topics are on a card in the back, so you can grab one of those if you're interested. Um, we began the series by answering the question, what is the gospel? And then another question tacked onto that, and, and how does it affect all of life? How does it change that aspect of life? The gospel is the good news. Just talk about the gospel. The gospel is the good news in light of the bad news, and it works out like this, that, that God's created all things. He created us to be um, in relationship with him, and we've distorted that, we've destroyed that, we've, we've messed that up in all kinds of ways. And, and we've gone against his commands, and we've, we've, done, we've done all that. All of us have. And, and our sin separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do to mend that broken relationship on our own. We need someone to step into that place to pay the penalty of our sin so that we could have right relationship with God, to redeem us back. And Jesus steps in and, and does that. That's, that's amazing good news. That's beautiful good news. It's not something that we can grow tired of hearing over and over and over. It's something that we want to hear. The gospel is good news in light of the bad news. And it's not just, the gospel is not just about our our eternal state. So it's not just something that's out there that hopefully one day we'll see the the effects of, but we see the effects of, of that today. Even though our relationship with the Father is secure, we still find ourselves looking for acceptance looking for approval, looking for identity and freedom and redemption and hope and, and all those things in, in the stuff of this life. We're looking for that even here. So we're, we're making a mess of those things even now. And all of that, acceptance and, and right relationship and identity and hope, all of that is found in a right belief of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, we have been accepted by God the Father. Hear that. Because of Jesus, we find our approval and our identity not in the things of this world, but in Jesus alone. Because of Jesus, we have been made new. Because of Jesus, we have relationship with the King, this King of Kings that we sang about. We, we have relationship with, with the King. We've been united with Him. There's intimacy there. The, the gospel of Jesus actually affects all of life today. Not just something out there in the future, although it does that, but today. And so last week we zoomed way out 
and, and looked at the broad topic, very, very, very broad topic of relationships and how the gospel takes what is broken in those relationships and, and even some of the things that are beautiful and, and, and redeems that, makes that new. And I made this disclaimer last week, and I should probably make it again. This week, we are not seeking to answer all of life's questions in these 40 minutes. So if you are left longing, so we all are, right? We're, we're all looking to, to figure out some of these things, um, seeking to answer these questions. And our hope in all of this is that this is a, a conversation starter, that this helps you uh, get to a point of having some of these conversations with friends or with your spouse or with your township or whatever that looks like so that you can then begin to apply um, what uh, is going on in the things that we're talking about, the truths of the gospel and the things that we need to focus in on. And that takes work, doesn't it? To be in relationship like that, to begin talking about some hard things, for you to be in relationship with other people who are pointing you to the truths that we're learning together and that you would listen, that you would take heart to those things. Um, and, and so this week, we're going to talk about our leisure, right? Or leisure for some of you. Um, probably not. Uh, leisure. Um, <laughs> Uh, even in that word, we realize that this is going to be a very broad conversation, right? This is going to be something that, that's very broad, because who uses that word leisure? I mean, not a whole lot, right? We don't use that word. I think it went out with the, the suit, right? Uh, the leisure suit. Um, what does it mean? One definition I read this last week, thank you for those, that was a, a joke grenade. It took a little bit of time, and then it went off. Um, uh, one definition I read this week uh, goes something like this. Leisure is the time that we have that is free from the demands of work or duty when one can rest and enjoy hobbies. It's our leisure. Uh, I settled on the word leisure. I know it's a strange one, but I settled in there instead of recreation or some other word like that because the word recreation often implies um, that we're out doing something, that we're out doing something, uh, physical, some sort of physical activity, right? So that's what kind of comes to mind, and, and not everyone enjoys physical exertion, right? Not everyone enjoys like, yeah, I'm going to go do something. It's going to be fun. Not everyone enjoys climbing mountains. There are some who enjoy sitting with a book in a cabin in the mountains, right? right? Not everyone enjoys playing sports. Some enjoy watching them. Not everyone enjoys uh, raising animals. Some enjoy eating them, right? And, and on and on. And yeah, amen, Joe. So, uh, so our leisure is the time that we have free from the demands of work, free from the demands of, of duty when we can restfully enjoy this life. So the question is then, how does the gospel transform our leisure? How is it transforming those things that we can enjoy? How does the gospel impact that? How does it, how does it get in there and, and transform that? And there are a few ways that we can stray away from this right view of the gospel when it comes to our leisure. Often we see our leisure and the gospel as completely separate things. Do you get there? Where you think, well, th these are the things of life. These are the things that I can enjoy. Th this is what I'm going to do over here. And this, this is fun. I'm going to do that on the weekend. Oh, that's right. And I also have to spend some time with God on Sunday. 
right? And we, we begin to separate those things. Or, or what we, we begin to think about it are, these are the things that are broken and decaying, and yeah, they aren't what they ought to be, and, and, and all of those things we shove over here, and, and, and then there's some time with God over here. And, and I don't think either of those perspectives is right. Our view of leisure has got to be informed by a right understanding of the gospel. In fact, I would go so far as to say it this way. We need to see our enjoyment of life, our true God-honoring enjoyment of this life as only being possible when we have been changed by the gospel. I'm going to step away from my notes a second so, so that maybe, maybe don't write this down. But is it, is it true that, that Christians ought to be the ones who are but people who are following Jesus ought to be the ones who are enjoying life the most because we know the one who's, who's given it? I think we're going to see that in a passage we'll look at here. When I think of this um, uh, topic of enjoying this life, my mind automatically goes to the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you would take your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, um, it's in the Old Testament, which is the, the first half of your Bible. You've got Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. We'll be looking at chapter 2, so find your way to chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. If you've been with us for a while, a long while, you'll uh, remember that we worked through uh, tw- these 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes back in 2014. In fact, let me just see. Was anybody here in 2014? My family. Great. Uh, oh, Je- <laughs> Pete and Jill Chambers. Okay. Um, so I, really, I can say whatever here, and, and it's all new to you all. No. Um, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is this roller coaster book of the joys and sorrows of life. Uh, but one thing the author does so well is, is shows us that there is meaning, true and lasting meaning, in the enjoyment of the life that God has given us today. And so I want to start by seeing that, that God is the one who creates good things to be enjoyed. God creates good things. We talked about this last week, but but God created all things. And when he created all things in their original form, uh, they were good. After sin entered the world, we still have to see that the things that God has created, those things that he's created are good. Even though sin is making a mess of things and and everything is breaking down and decaying, uh, the things that God made are good. God does not create bad things. He does not create imperfect things. God creates good things. He must. That's his that's his nature. He's a good God. He can only create good things. In fact, James tells us, the author of James, we read it earlier, says that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If there is a good gift, if there is a perfect gift, we know that it has come from God. He is the only one. We are able to say every, 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 every good and perfect gift is from him. And guess what? He's not changing. He's not, he's not shifting and, and, and changing in that. He, does, he doesn't vary in his giving of good gifts. God creates good things. Why has he done that? 
Why has he created good things? And why is he a, a giver of good things? Have you thought about that before? Maybe a different question is, why has God created us with a desire to enjoy good things? He, he could have created things that were just neutral, that everybody just walks around like no one ever, ever thinks about the good things. He could, have, he could have created us with no desire for enjoyment. Right? He created good things, but we just don't have any enjoyment of it. Now, sometimes we live that way. But he could have created us that way. He, he could have created us for a desire for enjoyment, but not created anything for us to enjoy. And on and on. We could go with all the, the could-haves. But, but none of those things are the case. God has created good and perfect things. He's the giver of good and perfect things. And he has created us to desire the enjoyment of good things. We enjoy good things. Right? We all do. No one walks around thinking, I kind of enjoy mediocre things, or bad. I actually enjoy bad things. We all enjoy good things. And really, that's, that's leisure, right? That, that's the enjoyment of things. We have a God who creates good, perfect, and enjoyable things. We have a God who has created us to desire those enjoyable things. We desire the space and time to enjoy hobbies, to enjoy the life that, that we have away from the constraints of work and duties of life. In some ways, aren't we created also, we'll get to work in the weeks to come, aren't we created also for leisure, for the enjoyment of good things? We are. Look at what the author of Ecclesiastes has to say in chapter 2. Um, many have said this is probably King Solomon. Um, if not King Solomon, someone much like King Solomon, someone who, who um, uh, was wiser than anyone on the face of the earth, um, more wealthy than anyone at the time. This is King Solomon um, probably, and this is what he says. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I, I, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired to see, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. And I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here's what the author's doing. The author, I would make a case for, for King Solomon, the, the author of Ecclesiastes, um, it walks through four 
areas of enjoyment. Uh, Four areas of leisure, to use the word that we're using. Alcohol, material possessions, entertainment, and sex. Even though Ecclesiastes is hundreds of years old, can you think of any other categories of leisure that that we would say, oh, 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 he forgot this one. No, couldn't we we say this covers all of it? Our hobbies uh, fit into those categories. Our toys fit into those categories. The things we consume, right? The things we eat, drink, smoke, right? All of those things we consume fit into these categories. Our, Our physical relationships fit into these categories. And so, so what do we learn from the author of Ecclesiastes? We can't be certain, again, that it's King Solomon, but someone like him, wealthy and wise, more than anyone on the face of the earth, a guy who has experienced enjoyment of all things. So if we're looking to learn from someone, uh, someone to help us in how we handle our leisure, he's a pretty good place to start, right? He's done it all, seen it all, had it all. And so he starts in chapter 2 by talking through some of the results of his investigation. He says, I've gone out to seek these things. What are some of the results of his investigation about pleasure? He says in verse 3, I started my investigation of pleasure with wine. I thought, let me seek pleasure in wine. Now, before we shove this guy off as a drunkard, right, he's a foolish drunkard. Before we do that, look at what he says. I started my investigation with the pleasure. I'm going to seek pleasure in wine. What's he say? But my heart was still guiding me with wisdom. In other words, I wasn't looking to get drunk. I was looking at wine as a fine connoisseur. I was looking at the finest of fine wines. That's what I was after. I set out to enjoy wine in significant ways. Now, uh, if that's not for you, and I know we've got different views of how alcohol is handled and all of that, so if that's not for you, couldn't we substitute wine with any other consumable substance, right? Uh, beer, whiskey, chocolate, cheese, coffee, it, it, whatever. Just fill that in with whatever it is that you are consuming. The author of Ecclesiastes goes on a search to see what could bring pleasure, and he starts with wine. The question is, couldn't that bring us pleasure. The things we consume, absolutely it can. All right, we all have our choices for what we enjoy consuming. Each could bring pleasure. In verse 4, he goes on and we see that, that he sought pleasure in possessions. So the things we consume and the things we possess. In many ways, this parallels with the descriptions of King Solomon's possessions in 1 Kings 7 and right around that area. If you want to read through that this week, you can see all of the things that King Solomon had acquired He says here, I built these things. I built these great things, houses and vineyards and gardens and parks, and I I planted fruit trees in these parks, and I built pools. What? Did you notice that? I built pools. Why? To water the forests that I had planted. Right? This guy has it all. So I could water the forest of trees that I had planted. This guy's racked up possessions in ways that are hard to imagine. He goes on in verse 7. I had female and male slaves, slaves who were born in my house. I had more herds and flocks and animals than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I gathered gold, silver, treasures from other kings. He, he got it from other kings. I had it all. Now, we may not have it all, but we're acquiring stuff all the time, aren't we? Yeah, we are. My family ought to know that well because we spent the weekend acquiring all of our stuff, putting it in bags and taking it to Ark for you all to have, right? We acquire things. We possess 
a lot. We like our toys. We like our gadgets. We like our things. Do our, our possessions bring us pleasure? They can. So we see that the author of Ecclesiastes is investigating the pleasures of, of the things he consumes, the pleasures in his possessions. He goes on in verse 8 to show another category. He sought pleasure and entertainment. Right? He, he, he obtained singers, male and female singers. Now think about this. His playlist was, I'll just obtain singers, right? So he, he didn't have Apple Music or, or whatever, Spotify or whatever it is you all are, Napster. What, what are kids listening to? I don't know. He just said, nope, I'm just going to, I like it. Here's my playlist. I've got Elton John and Beyonce and I don't know. But anyway, he's got all these people, and he's like, sing, sing, sing. So he just has those things. The entertainment that he wanted, he says, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just get it. I, I will have it. I want to be entertained, and so I was. And I think we do similar things. I want to go on vacation, so I will. I want to go camping and hiking, so I will. I want to play this sport. I want to play this instrument. I want to watch this movie. I want, I want to find pleasure in, in entertainment, so I'm going to do it. I want pleasure and hobbies, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to kayak this river, I'm going to do it. I'm going to run this mountain peak, I'm going to do it. I'm going to learn a new hobby, I'm going to learn how to roast coffee, build furniture, collect stamps. I want to be entertained, I want to find pleasure in my entertainment. Now, the question, does our entertainment bring us pleasure? It absolutely can. The author continues in verse 8, we'll spend less time here, I also obtained many concubines. I had whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted it. I had all the pleasure I wanted in all kinds of categories. Alcohol, possessions, entertainment, sex, anytime, night and day. Do those things bring us pleasure? They absolutely can, right? Absolutely. And in verse 9, we're told that he surpassed Anyone who even came close to that sort of pleasurable enjoyment. He still had all of the wisdom he had when he started. So think about this. God created good things. And everything God creates is good. And he also created us with a desire to to enjoy pleasurable things. He, He did that. That's our good God. Is it wrong for us to pursue leisure? Is it wrong for us to move in that direction? Is it it wrong for us to enjoy restful enjoyment in hobbies, to pursue those things? Is it wrong to enjoy the, the things we consume? Is it wrong for us to enjoy the things we have, our possessions? Is it wrong for us to enjoy entertainment, a good book, a good hike, a a good movie, a good song? Is it wrong for us to enjoy physical relations? Is it wrong for us to enjoy our leisure? Let me answer that question with another question. And here's the other question. To what end? I think that's the question we need to be asking. Is it wrong? Is it right? Well, Well, to what end are we enjoying it? What is the end of our enjoyment? Is the end goal of our enjoyment the thing itself? Or is the end goal of our enjoyment actually the God who gave it? What end is our enjoyment? 
What's the end of, of your enjoyment? Just put it out there in front of you. Is it simply to enjoy the things? Is that the end? This gets um, to the broader picture we're trying to paint. How do we see the gospel in all of life? When we're talking about leisure, our leisure, our enjoyment of the things of this life, how do we see the gospel affecting that aspect of life? I think we go back to the beginning of creation, that humans were created uh, good, that everything around them was also created good. They were commanded to not eat of one tree. And when they did, when they sinned against God, when they, when they disobeyed God, sin entered the world. And now our enjoyment of things splinters into different directions. And now because of, of the distortions of sin, we have the ability to enjoy the created things as an end in itself. We have the ability, not just the ability, but the propensity to enjoy the created thing as an end in itself. We have the, the sinful ability and propensity to, to choose to enjoy a fine wine, a nice scotch, a, scotch, a, a charcuterie board, a, a piece of cake, a hot tea, all, all of those things as an end in itself. We move in that direction. We have a, have a propensity to do that. We have the ability and inclination to enjoy entertainment and hobbies and, and all of those things as an end in itself. Does that make sense? Like, I'm going to enjoy this for the thing itself, to bring pleasure to me, and that's the end. I'm going to move on with something else. Take all that stuff to ark and move on to something else. This was the final analysis of the research that the author of Ecclesiastes found, and I want us to see it in verse 10. We already read it, but I want us to see it again. Look at verse 10. This was the final analysis. He says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. Listen, here's, we don't get this in the way that we read it. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Let me read it this way. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and that was the reward for it. Just pleasure. That's it. That, that was the, the end of, of all of that as he pursued that. That was the end. In other words, anything I saw I want, that I wanted, I went for it. I didn't abstain from any pleasure, from any pursuit of leisure. My heart found pleasure in all of the, all, all of the work pursuing these pleasures. And the very last phrase he says is in verse 10, that was my reward. That was it. The pleasure itself, the enjoyable thing itself, the leisure itself was his reward, at least in, in that investigation. Paul the Apostle talks about this distortion of God's intent for us in Romans 1. We touched on it last week a little bit. In Romans 1, Paul's talking about humankind seeking their own way, exchanging the glory of God for idols, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. These distortions and disruptions of God's good intent for us, he just goes on about it. Then Paul talks about how God responds, how God responds to that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, he says, Therefore, after all of this, he says, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth 
about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I love when Paul does this. He just springs off into, into a hymn and amen, right? Truth. When we exchange the truth about God for a lie, we're worshiping and serving the created thing rather than the creator. When we're enjoying the pleasurable things in front of us as an end, we've given up the worship of the very one who's created all things good and pleasing. How often do we do that? So often. At least for me, I'll speak for myself, so often. How often do we pursue enjoyment with the enjoyment itself being the end? If, if our enjoyment of our leisure, if our enjoyment of things, uh, the things of this earth, finds its end in the thing itself, we are, as Paul says, worshiping the created thing and not the creator. That's misplaced worship, and it's, I'm going to use the S word, sin. It's sin. It's an offense against the creator, God, who created us. Why? For relationship with him. For, for, for connection, for close relationship with him. And, and he, so much so that he, he gave his son that we would have a right relationship with him. It's an offense against the creator, God, who made the things that we are enjoying to direct our attention to him. So what's the correction here? Right, it, 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 it's this. Our leisure, our enjoyment, the, the things that bring us, us pleasure here must not end with the pleasure, but must end in the worship of God, the enjoyment of God. All of these things are, are to point us to the enjoyment of who God is and who he's made us to be. We have been created in a world of God's good creation to enjoy God's good creation for the purpose of worshiping God, uh, for the purpose of enjoying God forever. It's the chief end of man by enjoying God forever, right? That, that, that we would enjoy God forever. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Look at that. Who can say that? I mean, search your heart there. Can you say, there is nothing? Really? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I know my heart doesn't lean in that direction often. There's nothing on this earth that gives me more pleasure than that of knowing God, worshiping God, seeing more of God. Would my heart lean there? That would be my prayer. We were made to enjoy good things, but to what end? To the enjoyment of God. Look down a little further if you're still in Ecclesiastes, down to, to verse 24. The writer says this, there is nothing better for a person than that he or she should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his or her toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Do you, do you see that? For, for apart from God, who can have enjoyment? Maybe that ought to be the thing seeking in, sink, sinking into our, our heads and hearts. Uh, apart from God, who can have enjoyment? The answer is no one. 
no one, there is nothing better for us than to eat and drink and find enjoyment. But who can do that apart from the one who has given us all things? No one. How does the gospel of Jesus Christ now affect our leisure, affect the way we look at things? All of the things of this earth, it's this. We have a God who created all good things. And because of our, our sin, we have distort us, a distorted view of those things. And, and those things have often become objects of worship. And sin and its consequences continue to make a mess of all good things. And the only one who is able to write that is the one who, who is able and, and is coming back to, to make all things new. We've looked at that over and over. Revelation 21 He's coming back to to redeem and to restore the one who came to this broken world to begin with, to to redeem a sinless people, to redeem us, to make us new. He came to right our broken relationships with God the Father. He came that we might have life and life abundantly, that we would enjoy the life that he's given us, Abundantly, life to the full, that we would enjoy this life. And Jesus alone is life. And when the truth of the gospel cracks into our hearts and changes us and makes us new, only then are we able to realize the truth that we just read in Ecclesiastes 2.25, for apart from God, who can have enjoyment? Apart from the God who gave us these good things, who can have enjoyment? God gives those things uh, those who, who are his good gifts of true, lasting enjoyment here and now and also into eternity. We are absolutely able to enjoy the good and pleasurable gifts of leisure now as a small picture of what is to come when we will enjoy the creator of those good gifts and the redeemed nature of those good gifts into eternity. You hear that? We are able to enjoy the good and pleasurable gifts of leisure now as a small picture of what is to come when we will enjoy the creator of those good gifts and the redeemed nature of those good gifts into eternity. Jesus is returning to make all things new and we get to experience and taste and see all of those things now, glimpses of that now. So what is our response to this? To this idea that God's created good things, that we enjoy good things, and that in light of the gospel of Jesus, our enjoyment of good things must find their end in, in the worship of God because he is the one who is, re, uh, Jesus is the one who's returning to restore all things. What's our response to that? How do we respond to that? Often what, what begins to happen, see, see if you're here, often what begins to happen is we justify our good and right pursuit of enjoyable leisure by tacking God onto the end of it verbally. Anybody done that? Oh, I got to go do this thing. Praise God, right? And that we say, yeah, see, God's over all things, right? And we just tack God on, on to, to the end of it. We can do that um, just to, to use um, the, the, the way that the author of Ecclesiastes talks about this, right? Um, he, he talks about, um, choose one, uh, the enjoyment of wine, right? And we can move in, in negative directions where, where we would enjoy too much wine, right? Even in excess to, to drunkenness. And, 
And we begin to, to then push against this. We can, we can fall in this ditch as well. And, and we push against anyone who would tell us to abstain, and we tack God onto the end of it. Well, why would God give us something enjoyable if he didn't want us to enjoy it? Right? And, and we justify our abuse of something. We can kind of go in a, in a couple different directions of how we view these things. So what then is our response? How, how do we respond to this thing that, that God has given us good gifts to enjoy and our enjoyment finds its end in him? Here's, I think, how, and the author of Ecclesiastes, after a lot of back and forth in this roller coaster of ups and downs and saying, hey, everything is passing and fleeting and it seems really depressing and it's really a depressing book, but then he comes back around. You know how he ends the book of Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters are about the enjoyment of life, this life, the enjoyment of this life here on this earth. You know how he ends. Here's how he ends. Look at this. Chapter 12 at the very end, the author says at the end, says the end of the matter, all has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Can you hear this? Are, are we to enjoy the pleasures of this life? Yes. Are we to enjoy leisure, our restful pursuit of enjoying this life? Yes, but we are to do that within the context of obedience to a holy God who requires and also demands our obedience within the context of that. God did not give us good gifts to use and abuse the the good gifts to try to find our enjoyment. He gave us good gifts to enjoy so that our landing place of our enjoyment would be him. Does that make sense? That, that, that all of these things are, are pointing us back to him. I don't know how, how this hits or where you would apply this. One of the ways that we've tried to do it as a family, we've gone up and down I-25 more times than we want over the last six or eight months, but really over the last 12 years that we lived here, every time we drive down I-25 and we look out west, we see these giant hills. And when we first moved here, I asked my wife, I, I, I said to Kirsten, I said, do you think people get tired of seeing that? We didn't know because we weren't from here, right? Does it get boring? It has not yet for us. We drive down that road and we look out and they're different every single time we look out there. The shadows are different. The snow's different. The clouds are coming in different. And I look out there, my boys could repeat this right now. I look out there and I say, who made that? God did, right? And why did he make that? Why? And the answer that we, we often repeat to ourselves over and over is the only reason he made that is for our enjoyment so that we could turn back to him and say, look at what he did. Is it simple things like that, putting those practices into your life to say, no, this is what God has done. Look at this. Our enjoyment finds its rest, its landing place in God. And listen, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to be different, aren't we? We're, we're called to be different. Our desire is not simply to be accepted by the world and just to fit in. Part of our mission is to engage the culture. And the longer version is to engage the culture with the truth of the gospel. And often I think what happens is we are engaged by the culture. and We just become a part of it. Our desire is to not simply be accepted by the world by, by, by fitting in. And, and so my questions for us would be this. Are, are we able to say when engaging whatever leisurely activity it is, are we able to say that the intentional end of that enjoyment is the worship of God? Right? Now listen, I, I'm not trying to squelch your fun. 
Like, I'm not trying to say, well, I can't do that anymore because I, I don't know how do I weave God into that. That ought not to be the case. We ought to be able to say, that was amazing, and who gave that to me? God did. Or are we able to say that? Is that the intention of our hearts? Can you say that the reason you're, you're pursuing this enjoyment in, in life or this substance, whatever you're consuming, whatever you're purchasing, whatever you're engaging in is because you, listen, from, from Ecclesiastes, that you fear God and desire to obey him? Is that why? Can you say that this leisurely activity that, that, show, the, the, that it shows the world around you that you will exchange nothing for the worship of God? Are you able to say that that thing you're engaging in, that thing you're consuming, the things that you're, you're doing, the things that you're possessing, are you able to say of those things, these are nothing compared to God? I desire nothing on earth besides God. If not, and this is to me maybe more than anyone else, if not, is it possible that you are pursuing enjoyment with the end goal of your, your own personal enjoyment? It, how, how has the gospel transformed even this aspect of our lives, our, our leisure, your enjoyment of good things? God has saved you. If he saved you, if you're one of his, he saved you to himself, not to yourself. He's saved you to himself. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. What's the price? The precious blood of Jesus. Just because something is legal does not give us the right to pursue pleasure in it as an end. Just because something feels good does not give us the, the green light to pursue pleasure in it as an end. This goes for every area of our leisure. We could go on and on. Are, are you skiing? Because it, it draws you in to see more of God, or it draws you in to obey God and desire to, to do His commands. Are you listening to music, watching movies, spending time with your friends, uh, enjoying sex, or all of those things in a way that uh, points your attention and affection to the God who gave you those gifts within the confines and within the restraints, within the good, pleasurable commands of God to be obedient to him. Listen, these things matter. These things matter. These are not secondary. If you're a follower of Jesus, one who's been bought with the price, our leisure, our enjoyment of this life matters. Uh, I'll finish here. Uh, I want to read from Paul and what he has to say to the, the church in Colossae. Maybe this is a filter for us as you think about this. Well, how do I apply this? How do I apply what, what we've just um, walked through? Because now I can't enjoy anything in this life. Um, maybe this would be a filter. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Not as a squelch of your enjoyment, but because Christ is there. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. Friends, our aim is Christ, right? Our, our aim is, is Christ in our lives. Your life, my life is hidden with Christ. That's got to be our perspective in this, even in our leisure. I want to pray for us this morning. I, I know this is just the, the, the opening of a can for a lot of us, and now we've got a lot of things to talk through and a lot of things to sort out, and, and we've probably got some differing opinions on how we work all this out. Entertainment, something that we probably have differences in. The things that we consume, we probably have differences in. Here in this room, right? The, the things that we uh, pursued uh, as, as entertainment, the things we watch and listen to, we probably have differences here in this room. So we've got a, a lot of things to sort through as a church family, a body together. We can help one another grow in this. And so I want to pray for us this morning, and then I want to celebrate the finished work of Jesus, that in, the, in, in all of the ways that I have pursued uh, pleasure as an end, and that's sin and on my part, but that's the end, that, that's sin. I've, I've made that an idol. Uh, the very God who loves us and desires right relationship with us has given his son to pay the penalty of that sin so that I could have right relationship with him and one day see all of these things restored. Heaven. Can I pray for us? And then we'll continue. Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, uh, first of all, God, I, I'm thankful that you have created us and created us for a, a desire for pleasure. And, and that, that pleasure um, it, it has also been created. You've created pleasurable things, good and right things that we can in, engage in. I'm thankful for that. God, you have uh, created the mountains that we get to see daily. You have spoken them into existence from nothing You've given us good food and good drink and good relationships, and, and you've given us the, the things that we possess. Those come from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from a Father who loves us. So just pause and say, thank you, God, for those good gifts, the things that we get to enjoy. And my prayer for my own heart and for the hearts of my friends here where we need correction God, my, my prayer is that we would not see those things as the end, that our worship and that our affection would not end on those things, but they would see those things and move out back to you, the God who gave them. Would you change us? Would you restore us? Would you reform us in that? I pray that this would be something that, that, that changes us as a church, these conversations, that we would enjoy the good things of life more and more and more and more because we know they come from you and it draws us in to worship you. God, would you uh, change us as a church? If there are those in the room this morning, God, who are now feeling guilty about this or that thing, God, I pray that you would remind them of the truth that Jesus lifts the burden of our sin, our guilt, our shame as we confess our, our sin to him. He takes that and, forget, and forgiveness is offered where there are those this morning who have maybe been convicted about the ways they've pursued sinful pleasure, I pray that you would um, uh, convict and that you would also um, show them the forgiving hand of a loving Father. God, you're a good God, delighting in giving good gifts to your children, and we are thankful. I pray that that would rouse our hearts to worship you all the more. 
All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take some time where you are this morning. Um, Confess where you need to confess. Rejoice where that needs to happen. And then come and celebrate.